Let's go. Welcome to the Poptimist Day. We have Jamie Haggerty. Hi. For episode 52, aka Funk Brother. Woo! What's your Instagram? Uh, at Funk Brother, F U N K B R U D D A. And where can people find you at besides that if they're so inclined? Uh, Facebook. My website is under construction. Okay. So, probably just Instagram. Okay. <laughs> or you can email Perfect. me at funkbrother at gmail. Blah, blah, blah. And you were just telling me that you're working on some comic book stuff right now for yeah. music. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Uh, I call them tune books. Uh, it's basically just comic books based off of songs. So, I've done two so far. Uh, one for Basic Printer and one for Catalina, both local artists here in Nashville. Um, and basically it's just, we choose a song, the lyrics of the song are the, you know, the, the narrative, the, the story, and then I draw along to that, um, sit down with the artist, come up with the, you know, talk about what the song's about, kind of basically go line by line and just figure out, all right, what's going on this page, what's going on on the next page, how are we telling the story, and just doodle it up, man. How'd you get the uh, idea to do that? Um, that's a good question. How? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, actually, about let's see. Probably around like fall, winter uh, last year. Um, I was like really, like really floundering with like, like what am I doing with my life? Um, oh yeah yeah <laughs> um and i was in like just a real real bad uh headspace and like a pattern of thinking um which uh, uh became like a whole thing with my family like my mom and i weren't talking for months um uh it was just, and uh, that's all cleared up and Therapy's great. I recommend therapy. Yes. <laughs> therapy is a wonderful thing. I've done a lot of therapy in yeah. my day. It's, uh, yeah, I think people should do that and do more of it. But, um, so that was going on, and uh, I was really just, like, looking for something to do, um, and decide, and just, I, I'd always loved drawing, like, as a kid. Like, I was the kid in, uh, in kindergarten drawing Looney Tunes, like, all day long, rather than pay attention or anything. Yeah, fuck um, school. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so, and then, and I had kind of stopped doing it, uh, once I had discovered drumming and, and music and being in bands and stuff. So it had been like years since I'd even tried to draw anything. Um, and I was just, uh, yeah, just like kind of lost and like, all right, well, let's see if I can still do this. And then just started doing little things and posting on my Instagram, um, started thinking about doing, um, just like extended posts, I guess, or like trying to do sort of like a, a newspaper strip, you know, like just one thing a day, something to just get up there, and then like maybe something bigger on Sundays like they do in the paper. Um, but the uh, the tune book idea came from, I think it did, I think it was just like listening to like a Chili Peppers album for like the millionth time. I love the Chili Peppers. It's my favorite, like perennial band um and just started writing out the lyrics to parallel universe 
and wrote a little story like like my I I am a character in my my cartoon world so like it's all kind of centered around like cartoon me uh huh so my guy kind of like drifts through that song and like comes out the end and there's like uh, you know, he gets sucked into some kind of like time warp thing, and then he's underwater fighting a squid, and then he gets sucked out of that and is attacked by a giant spider, and then um, by the end of it, it's a regular spider, and he just squishes it and walks away, and I'm done with that. <laughs> <laughs> but it just basically started with that, and then uh, Christine was like, "You should be doing more of that." And then ah, uh, she has an eye for when to say that. Yeah, yeah, she's man. I probably wouldn't be. I would probably homeless or living at home or sleeping on someone's couch uh, jerking off my underwear if not for Christine <laughs> it's a good thing to have a girlfriend sometimes mm-hmm. oh yes most of the time really yeah <laughs> it can be a very healthy thing in life indeed um, and then uh, yeah from there um, we had been we had met Jesse of Basic Printer through Nashville Offbeat mm-hmm. um, and been to a bunch of his shows and we became friends and he was like, you're doing this thing I want one of these for my album and so we started working on that and Catalina had won, had won hers actually from a Nashville Offbeat showcase uh, and it just they just happened to sort of wrap up around the same time and get released not too far apart from each other so nice. it's all coming together Yeah. well if people want to uh want to have their songs put in comic book form, they can reach out to you. Call me, yeah. Email let me. you know. Don't call me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Don't I mean... Fucking call me. Who talks on the phone anymore? It's, it's way too intimate. You just talk to your grandma mm-hmm. on the phone. I don't even do that. I should. No, wait. My grandmas are dead. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> From the great beyond. Yeah. From the great... Yeah. We'll call one of those uh, psychic hotlines. Talk to grandma that way. Yeah. <laughs> Can you text in a psychic hotline now instead of calling that way? You I could bet a- you could. You could just avoid all human contact. Yeah, yeah. Uh, call uh, or uh, text psychic bot. At, uh... <laughs> <laughs> so uh, what uh, what else did you say you were working on? You're working on a couple other kind of comic book strip ideas or um, comic strip ideas. Yeah. Well, one one is for my own stuff. Um, I am slowly but surely trying to get my my own songs recorded and those will be packaged and released in a way that uh, comic books are along with each, each song basically is like a chapter um, and uh, I can't I can't go into much detail about that sure yeah no 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 just because there are no details yet. yeah okay so it's <laughs> like the seed of the idea it. you're yeah, trying to yeah. trying to get it to express itself yeah but basically what i've done with the other two bands i want to do for my thing for probably like an, an album's worth of songs but it'll probably be split into like three or four chunks to nice be manageable and affordable. <laughs> so you first started on drums as your first mm-hmm. instrument? Yeah, when I was 14. And was it the Chili Peppers, the first band that got you kind of into it? No, actually, and I'm kind of embarrassed to admit, but like, you know, this was just the age we grew up in. It was Blink-182. I wanted oh, dude. to be Travis Barker. Like, Absolutely, so everybody wanted to be Travis Barker. I don't want to be him now. <laughs> I read in like one of those like drum magazine things that was like featuring him or whatever that like he plays so hard, they have to bolt his shit down. 
It's like, you know, you can tap a snare drum and it's loud as fuck, you know? Uh-huh. Can we, you know, cursing is fine? Yeah, oh, yeah, <laughs> fuck yeah, curse away, please. I hadn't realized, uh, I don't know, I feel like I should ask as a guest. Um, but, uh, yeah, I definitely got into drumming just because, excuse me, it, like, he was easily the most talented part of, like, instrumentalist of For that sure. Group, for sure, just. That's why they on. brought him in. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's where that started and then sorry I keep burping it's this it's this gosh darned Miller High Life uh, yeah I know uh, future <laughs> sponsor of the podcast <laughs> yeah. Miller High Life send us a case <laughs> send us a keg send us two kegs we'll just keep upping the keep upping the <laughs> just send the whole bar fill yeah. it uh, bring a staff <laughs> well we could actually yeah. do a bar down here if, if you, you really could. look at this place you could it's I mean there's already a mirrored thing, like, on the backdrop, so you can make sure people aren't stealing while your back is turned. Oh, is that why they have mirrors in bars? Actually, I think it's because uh, it's harder to be a dick to the bartender if you can see yourself being a dick. Interesting. Wow. So, so that that seems like 1800 psychology. If it works. If it works, it works. <laughs> the shoe fits. Yeah. Wear I, that shoe. You can't, you can't, uh, unless you're a vampire, then you can just... I think you can steal all you want. Well, you you yeah. can steal all you want. You can be as big of a dick as you yeah. want to the bartender. Yeah. You can't see shit. There's a real vampire problem in Nashville. <laughs> <laughs> There's a huge vampire problem that they're not talking about. Yeah. Well, give us the information, uh, Nashville Metro PD. <laughs> they don't want to, dude. It, it's like in Bright. This is some kind of conspiracy. Did you ever see that on Netflix? Right? Yeah. Yeah, that stupid movie. With Will where, Smith? Where... <laughs> Where I guess it was an allegory for racism. I think it was, yeah. Yeah, it's totally what it was. Yeah, except it was like speciesism. Yes. But it felt uncomfortable because Will Smith is black and the main character, but the alien is the one facing the discrimination. It was an orc. Yeah. It was a fairy it was tale. It was an orc, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, a fa- it was, was supposed a weird... to be like a pseudo fairy tale. I mean,. I watched it, but... <laughs> I liked it. I thought it was fun. It was, yeah, yeah. I, I don't... Yeah, I can't, like... I've stopped going to movies with, like, uh, uh, the intent that I'm going to come out of there, like, gaining something. Uh-huh. It's just like, all right, let's go have fun for an hour. Yeah, totally. Like, yeah. I think the last movie that I was hyped to see in the theater was probably The Hateful Eight. I didn't see that. The, the Quentin Tarantino movie? Yeah. That was pretty good. I saw that in the theater. And um, he has a new movie coming out this year. Have you heard about it? What's it called? It's called Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Hmm. Leonardo DiCaprio is supposed to be playing this aging uh, TV star that was in, like, 50s Western TV shows. Mm-hmm. And his career is completely on the back burner. And uh, Brad Pitt, I think it's Brad Pitt, plays his um, his stunt double. And they, they are in Hollywood in 1969, I believe, and the backdrop is the Charles Manson murders. Oh. So it's a very Tarantino-esque going to be some movie. blood, I'll bet you. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of blood. But yeah, there's... there's <laughs> what do you like, think? Do we need, like, a pint or a quart? <laughs> I always love how uh, cartoony his movies are. Because I feel like all the violence is super cartoony in, in every one of his movies. Yeah. It's just like over-the-top violence to the point where you're like, that's, that's not even real. Yeah, yeah. 
I think uh, Family Guy summed it up pretty great when they they did like a parody episode or something in the style of Tarantino. I did not know this exists. Maybe it was one of those like three part, like one segment was Tarantino, but like Peter does the, the voiceover and it's like, and our story, something like our story is set in whatever time period Tar- Quentin Tarantino grew up in, because <laughs> you know it has that like nineteen seventies, yeah, yeah. It's like whatever that shit's from. That's where we are now. That's hilarious. That's so good. So, what were some of your influences as a uh, as a comic book guy? Like, or is there anything in particular that you got for the first time and it just changed your life? Uh, Calvin and Hobbes for sure. Calvin and Hobbes. I mean, I'm, I think everybody would agree that's like the that was the top shit. <laughs> uh, Bill Watterson, oh, is it Watterson or Watterson? I think it's Watterson. Um, but definitely like a hero in this realm for me. Um, he was kind of the first newspaper comic strip guy to uh, to be like, all right. I'm not just going to put the... It's not just going to be, like, the same three boxes or whatever for the weekdays. It's not going to be the same, like, five to seven boxes on the Sunday strip. Give me the space. I'm going to make art here. And that and he has all these, like... All the Sunday ones are, like, beautifully watercolored and, like, you know, these awesome landscapes and uh, just a, a kid and his stuffed tiger, like, roaming through the woods and playing and imagining and... um. And it's and it's so fucking funny too, and it it maintains like the the innocence and like the troublemaking and the just like the the just like the nature of a six year old boy. The sense of imagination. But there's yeah, but that it also make he makes or like does make like really. Uh, poignant points. Uh huh. Like there's the, there's several like classic ones. Like, um, I think there's one where it's just like it's one panel, and uh, Calvin and Hobbes are standing next to each other, looking down at a tree stump, and there's mm-hmm. like maybe some garbage strewn about, and he says something like, "I think the surest sign of intelligent life in the universe is that none of it has tried to contact us." That's interesting. Yeah. Well. I do think about that sometimes with with aliens and all that shit. Do you believe do you believe in aliens? Or intelli- um, other intelligent life in the universe? I just think it can't possibly like there's too much. How can it just be us? Yeah. Or and also maybe it is maybe it could just be us now, but who knows what was and what will be and that's true. It's there's a vast limitlessness to what we don't understand. Oh, yeah. It's like we don't understand... We're babies. Yeah, we're babies as a species. Mm-hmm. Like, looking looking back throughout all of history, I'm a firm believer that things are the best that they've ever been for everybody in the world right now, even though there's a lot of bad shit that's still happening. Overall, it's pretty good. Overall, it's pretty good. I think it's... there's there's uh, there's the least amount of people in poverty now, I think, that there's ever been mm-hmm. on mm-hmm. Earth, which is incredible in itself. And I think that within a couple of lifetimes, it's entirely possible that world hunger is actually cured. But will the aliens come? That's the question. 
Hmm. That is the question. And will they be interested enough to help? <laughs> yeah. I've got a question for you. Shoot. Elon Musk, hero or villain? Um, can I submit a third option? Yes. And it's that I, I don't really care. Why don't you care? Um, I, I, I just, I think it's great. He's doing all these crazy things and uh-huh. like pushing stuff forward. And that's cool. But none of it's gotten to me yet. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's, I'm joking. But I, uh, um, I don't know. I, uh, he's just a dude doing his shit. I think he's a On super... On a grand scale, of course, I think but. he's a super villain. Yeah. I think he's evil, dude. I mean, that'd be a great plot twist. I think, I think that's exactly what it is, because it's just like, everything he's doing is so he can be the first motherfucker on Mars. Mm-hmm. He That's wants to die there, right? He wants to die on yeah. Mars. He's he said that, and guess what? When he gets to Mars, he's the grand fucking ruler of <laughs> Mars. There is yeah. nobody else that can tell him. Nobody on Earth. Yeah. There's no one to keep him in check once he gets there, so unless he's immediately him, just overthrown as soon as they land. Like some yeah, yeah. some he like, steps out, and then some guy pulls out a gun, and just like. Psh, psh, <laughs> well, takes you him got out. us here. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think. Um, I think he's a. Uh, I think he's devious, dude. He calls. Well, people. if he's a supervillain and he's trying to get to Mars, what's he gonna do when he gets there? What's the end game? Is it just to get there? It's like being a cult leader, dude. Like he can just get there, and then everybody that's there, he's just like, "I'm your leader now. I'm your master." He's gonna give me all your wives. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's gonna bring all his friends' wives. <laughs> yeah. He's gonna he's gonna bring all these people over, and they're every single one of the women is gonna be exactly Elon Musk's type. <laughs> Bad news, ladies. None of your husbands made it. Uh. <laughs> I killed them. Yeah, looks like we'll have to repopulate Mars, or just populate Mars. I yeah, guess. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's there's zero population. <laughs> so you're a big podcast fan yourself. Yes. Who are your favorite podcasts? Joe Rogan, of course. Uh, Church of What's Happening Now. Uncle Joey. Uncle Joey. Your mom's house. Um, the Flop House. Do you know the Flop House? I don't know the Flop House. That is... Um, uh, I think the former showrunner for Jon Stewart's Daily Show, uh, with, I don't know what capacity he works there now, but another guy who's works at the Daily Show now, and there's a third guy who I don't know exactly why he's there. I think he's just their friend who owns a bar. Uh-huh. But, uh, the Flophouse, they watch a bad movie, and then they talk about it. Really? And it's great. Nice. It's it's so fucking good. Like you'll get, they'll do shit you've never heard of, like just B movies. Like the whole thing is like movies that did poorly, um, and now, <laughs> like I think they I think they did, uh, bright. They like, really just because like Netflix is cranking out so many things for they like are. everybody. They're just like there's an endless supply, and so like it's now it's finally caught up, and it's like things I've actually seen. It's like oh yeah that shit. Uh huh. But it's, oh man, that one's hilarious. Um, I used to follow, like, uh, like TED Talks Radio Hour or whatever. Uh-huh. Um, but that got kind of boring, actually, after a while. Um, Radio Lab is great. Uh, who else? I feel like I'm forgetting one. I don't know. It'll come to me. What do you think of Jordan Peterson? 
I think he's interesting, and I enjoy listening to him talk on Joe Rogan, but I don't really know enough about him. Okay, that's I fair. Haven't, I haven't investigated him further than those podcasts. Really? Yeah. He's kind of a controversial figure. Yeah, like, I, 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 I get that whole thing, because he, he's talked to Tim about that stuff, like, endlessly. Like, I... And I totally, I totally see how he's like almost entirely, completely misrepresented. Uh huh. And all that like garbage. Um, but uh, that like that area of things where like uh, people get so um, just upset about everything. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't have time for that shit anymore. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Well, I think I really started making an active effort. You know, I changed a lot of things in my life last year, and I used to be, in some ways, a pretty angry person. I felt like it, it never really showed. Mm-hmm. Um, it was it was just like this this silent, toxic anger that I was always choking on, just waiting for it to come out. And yeah. really, I think me wanting to change really came from seeing that in so many other people on the internet. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it made me, ju- it makes me, and it still does, really upset to see when people are mean to each other online. For, for really without... so stupid, too, yeah, It is. like, you don't know who you're talking to and you don't know who's talking to you necessarily on the internet. Mm-hmm. So, like, and it's, and it's all shit you would never say to someone's face. No. There's, without that you know, without this face-to-face, yes. like, there's, like, that, uh, communicating online is not how we should be communicating. <laughs> no. Yeah, there's something that gets lost in translation. Yeah. And it adds an extra layer, I think, that really mm-hmm. fucks us up. Yeah. We're not, we're not like, used to having that much, that much... There's no, there's no consequences to saying, no, exactly. to calling someone yes. a name on the internet. That's what I'm, that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, yeah. there's no consequences, because it's like, before, maybe you'll see, you would see someone cry in person, mm-hmm. and that would upset you and be like, oh, I, shit, I hurt that person. Or maybe you would get punched in the face. Yeah. Well, and, and you just consider how much of human interaction and communication is nonverbal. Uh-huh. That's like, true. I, and, and it still trips me out, because, like, I'll text my mom, and she, she texts just like she would write, you know? There's, like, there's capitalization, there's, like, punctuation. Uh-huh. But... And and tell me if you agree or disagree, but like for me, if I if somebody puts a period after every sentence in a text, I feel like they're being like short with me, like, no, I don't wanna do that. Let's do this instead. This is how we're gonna do it. Where it's just like where really they would say, like, no, nah, I don't really wanna do that. Like, why don't we go do this thing? But like with the periods, let it's it flow like, without punctuation. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Is there's something about it like where it's just like and then I'll pick up the phone and be like, Are you are you mad at me right now? It's like, No, I'm just trying to like we're just doing the we're going to dinner. Okay, but that text. <laughs> That's another unspoken you know? thing. Yeah. There, exactly. There's, I feel like for millennials, there's all this, since we've had this technology for so long, <clears throat> and I think we're going to see this as time goes on, that we have a specific form of communicating. Mm-hmm. Like, and it's going to change, I think, for every generation. So oh, for yeah. us, it might be that flow of not being, of not speaking with, with punctuation through, through text or anything like that. But mm-hmm. maybe a generation or two from now, that comes back into the fold. Yeah. Or it goes 
like the way Joe Rogan says, where uh, emojis are the new hieroglyphics and words are obsolete. Dude, that's fucking true, yeah. <laughs> emojis a, are the new it hieroglyphics. It kind of is, yeah. My friend uh, Micah showed me this video, and I can't remember what it was, but it told this story all through emojis. And it was just explaining the cycle of life, and it was actually really moving. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. That's so funny. Huh. Things are That's changing, wild. dude. Oh, I remember the other, po- it's, uh, the other podcast that I like is um, Ari Shafir's. Uh, dude, I fucking love yeah. Ari Shafir. Yeah. He's awesome. Yeah, he's great. Have he's you so watched man. his uh, show, This Is Not Happening? Mm-hmm. Have you seen any of that? Yeah, yeah. I like that, too. I don't know. What, what all, he got, like, kicked, or I guess that's. He just like left, right? He left, yeah. He yeah. went um went to Thailand. He went to Thailand. Malaysia and stuff. Yeah. That's pretty cool. He went on a walkabout. He's got that fuck you money. <laughs> he does. he does. Uh someday. Someday, someday. yeah. Someday. Have you ever left the country? Um does Bermuda count? <laughs> yeah, I mean it's okay, not in America. Technically, yes, but just barely. <laughs> yeah. Just the one time. Yeah, I'd I'd like to. I just you know money is a a bitch (laughs) yes indeed sure is I would really like to go visit Alaska I mean that's still America but it's pretty much like it's own country yeah almost Russia it's almost (laughs) Russia yeah that's true you can see it right over the right over the water yeah welcome comrade (laughs) dude I heard that there was um there was something with like a Russian fighter jet and a US fighter jet they like we're flying past each other, some drill or some exercise or some shit like that, and some shit went down. Really? Yeah. When was this? This was like six months ago or some oh. shit. Where was it? Over by Alaska. Oh. Yeah. Hmm. I hope we don't go to war with Russia. I, yeah, I hope not. <laughs> I hope we don't go to war with anybody. Uh, yeah, let's. We don't need any more of those, right? No. We're 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 pretty. We're pretty good on wars. I think we've I think we've done enough. We could probably try something new. What we should do is we should drop a whole bunch of mushrooms over <laughs> in the Middle East. I remember that special. <laughs> <laughs> Planes of crop dusters or uh, chronic smoke. Yeah. That's all we need. Yeah. Plus everybody will be chilled out. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They'll just want to eat pizza. You ever do mushrooms? Fuck yeah, I've done mushrooms. Have you ever done mushrooms? Yeah. What do you Recently. think of mushrooms? <laughs> huh? What do you think of them? You like them? Uh, yeah, they're pretty great. They can be scary. They can. I uh, I don't think I've ever gotten scary on them. But the first time I did them was the Fourth of July in Boston, and we <laughs> we were hanging out in a buddy's apartment, and I was the only one who did them. I made tea. And my buddy brought out his, like, like two-foot-high, like, kid toy drum set and gave me some paintbrushes, and I got, and that was, like, the most fun I've ever had in my life. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, but the part where I almost freaked out was we hopped on the train to go to the park to see the fireworks. Yep. And about halfway there, I realized, there's a lot of fucking people on this train. And so I got off. My friends did not. <laughs> what freaks you out about seeing all those people? Uh, there's just too many of them, too way too many, all in a tiny train car. Uh, and like it happened, like everything was cool until I realized that it like wasn't just us anymore. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, 
uh, and so I just got off, and I went home, and then they found me. They went to, that's, this is how great my friends at the time were, they, uh, I left, nobody knew where I was, they came to find me, but, but, they got ice cream first. <laughs> they brought you the ice cream? No, they got ice cream Oh, first. shit. <laughs> and then they came home to be like, maybe he's here, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> That's a very Boston story. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess it is. <laughs> hey, it's over here, fucking kid, over here. Dude, I remember I took a couple mushrooms a couple of years ago. So this was not the first time I did them, but this was the time that I did them the most. I went to Exit Inn, and I saw a Halloween show. Oh, God. It was his band. Yeah, it was fucked up, bro. That's fucking terrifying. <laughs> it was... It was terrifying, but I do shit like that on purpose sometimes just to scare myself. Yeah. I like getting a little bit scared every now and then. It's necessary. But it was this band, Backup Planet. They're like a jam band. They play, like, it's kind of funky, kind of jammy, and also kind of proggy. Mm-hmm. But that was the night I took them, and I started getting really fucked up, and everybody was in a Halloween costume. <laughs> and everybody in a Halloween costume, when you're on mushrooms, it's already like Halloween. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and everybody was in a Halloween costume, and it just really fucked me up. I started getting super introspective and just, like, looking at my life. And that was the night I first kind of realized I was having a lot of relationship problems with women hmm. and that I needed to make some kind of change for my life. I kept up my bad behavior for another seven, eight months. Just to make sure. Just to make sure <laughs> yeah. it was not not what I wanted out of life. Yeah, yeah. But, um, yeah, that was really the beginning of, of me making, like, a lot of changes because this past year, I, I just kind of went through a lot of hell and got really introspective. Um, I kind of I chose it, though. Um, mm-hmm. I was just starting to get deeper and deeper into relationships that I didn't want to be in, and I had to really figure out why. And a big part of that was the way that I grew up. I didn't have a good relationship with my mom at all. Hmm. I have no relationship with her today. And um, it was a hard thing to swallow and admit to myself at first. But I entered into like a a therapy program and it was kind of intensive. Mm -hmm. Um, And it just, I had to change my behavior with women because it was not giving me any good yields. I was worried that I was going to have a woman that either overdosed on me or something like that. I was just putting myself in a lot of bad situations Mm -hmm. and things that I was not proud of and emotionally hurting people a lot due to my own anger. I was just always kind of seething right under the surface. and That's interesting because I was and have been very much the same way. And like you don't... Or at least for me, like, it it always, <clears throat> uh, like, every, I, I can look back now and be like, every person I've ever had, like, a huge problem with or, like, felt like I hated was just a person exhibiting a behavior or, like, a pattern that, that I saw in me that I hated about myself. Oh, yeah. And then it's just like, ah, shit, I'm the dick. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Really, everything came to a head because when I was working at the apartments Mm -hmm. for that unnamed property management company full of fucking scumbags. (laughs) um, Where I may or may not still live. Yes. um, Allegedly. I really hated them a lot, and I realized everything that they possessed that was bad about them was also something that I possessed that was bad Mm -hmm. about me. 
So I was in this super toxic situation. It was a company uh, entirely run by women, so that added to a lot of my shit just with my mom and my issues with women. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was never anything mm-hmm. like I had trouble taking orders from women or anything like that. The opposite, you know, I was cool with all of that. But it was just this constant, this constant sneakiness and manipulativeness mm. that I, I had in myself and that they had in them. And so everything that I hated about them the most, it was exactly that. It was, it was yeah. all things that I hated really about myself. Right. Um, and they were just letting it run amok and not giving a fuck. Mm-hmm. And it was in me and I would see, I would see it start to come out. Yeah. Cause they were basically just using me as, as like a thug, you know, they were, they were using me to do all their dirty work. Mm-hmm. And, um, they encouraged a lot of my bad behavior. It was a very toxic, horrible environment for me. Yeah. And I had to uh, I had to make a change. You know, I got fired from that job. I got fired from four fucking jobs last year. Really? Yeah. Fun. Yeah. You know what? <laughs> I don't regret a single thing, though. No, yeah. One of them, I just kind of got laid off. There was no bad blood there. Another one, what was that property management job? It was pseudo my fault. It wasn't entirely <laughs> my fault. It takes two to tango. Um, and another one was um, was this company I worked for that I just lasted like two days at. They never called me back. I don't even know what happened with that situation. And then uh, the, the last one was with this job. I was working with my friend. He got me a job there. And this was like right when I started like that therapy. I was at it like every single day, all day. Oh, wow, really intense. Yeah, it was really intense because I, I was just really fucked up, man. Like, I was just really fucked up and just super miserable and depressed. Mm. But, um, yeah, I got fired from that job just basically for not giving a fuck. They, they had every right to fire me. That that one was entirely on me. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, I, um, I was just a very miserable person. Mm. I was very suicidal when I was young. Really? Very depressed, um... I just never really felt like I belonged anywhere that I had a purpose, but I always knew music was my, my guiding light. Mm -hmm. That was really the only thing that ever kept me going Yeah, and got me through any hard times that I had. But, um, after that, you know, I really learned the kind of person that I am and I know what I want and what I don't want out of life. And I feel like I have a way better understanding of people. Mm Mm-hmm. And I'm way more understanding, and I'm learning how to be compassionate, which is something that I never really possessed before. I never really felt sorry for anybody, because I felt like nobody ever really felt sorry for me. Yeah, yeah. That's, like, uh, that's more of that along the same lines of, you know, finding your own problems in other people kind of thing, like, you know, why should I help this dude? They're not not helping me out. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. It's that same same way of thinking that just like ruins you from the inside <laughs> yeah yeah it decays like, you from the inside it, well yeah it's like poison i like uh, man th- there were so many nights or i would come home from work uh and just like start smoking weed and just like not do anything 
for for weeks, for months. Oh, dude. And just like stew in my own negative bullshit soup. Uh huh. And it is, you know, and the more it stews, the worse it tastes. That's true. Until I don't know. I don't know what the metaphor is, but until you pull yourself out of the yeah, <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. it's hard. Sometimes it's really you need hard. A kick. For sure, yeah. I, I think it, it can be at any number of things too. That kick, you know. I, I had several gut punches last year, mm-hmm. and those kind of kept me in check. And it can be a person, it can be a life event, it can really be anything. It can be something as small as just seeing. Like an old lady cross the street and someone help her or something like mm-hmm. that. And then mm-hmm. you, you just feel your humanity come back for yeah. a second. Or maybe it's just like that for me. No, yeah. No, I feel you. Yeah, just a little... You, once you can get out of that, like, shit uh, headspace, you do start... You do, like... Not that you're necessarily, like, looking for it, but you start noticing more just, like, the little, like, good things and you appreciate them, and it's like, oh yeah, alright, today's fine, let's just, you know, keep it moving, everything's cool, like, and when it's not cool, that shit'll pass, and it'll be cool again, it's just, everything's temporary, just keeps rolling, yeah. Would you say that you were depressed, or were you just kind of in a funk? Oh, fuck yeah. (laughs) Uh, yeah, I've struggled with depression, uh, probably, most of my teen years and definitely my early 20s um, probably didn't really realize what it was until I was a bit older. Um, And oddly enough, like, once you slap a name on something, it's like, oh, now we can figure out what to do about it. Yes, for sure. Which is, like, super interesting. But um, Like Voldemort, dude. Kinda, yeah, yeah. He who must be named. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, my my shit took, like, a real dark turn initially uh, when when my parents told my sister and I they were getting divorced. And, like, I wasn't, I wasn't a kid. I was, like, 22, 23. Mm-hmm. But, like, that just, like, shattered my world, and I, like, didn't understand anything for so long. And, uh, which led to the whole thing, like, a year ago with my mom, like, it, like, it, it, some, we were, like, good for a while, and then, I I don't know, without really knowing it, like, I, I guess I was, like, blaming her more than my dad, Mm -hmm. and I didn't, you know, I didn't know as much about it all as I do now, and I have a different view on it all, and, like, sure, my family's cool. There's a lot of gray area to those kind of things. Right, yeah. But my, my initial reaction upon getting the news was, like, they, you know, they flew me home for the weekend, they told my sister and I, and then, like, I had to go back to Boston to go back to work, like, two days after. Life just continues. And the next, those next two weeks, I was a miserable asshole and I was so fucking angry. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I know, I know what rage feels like and it is terrifying. Like, I would just go out into the night and like, look for bottles to throw and and underpasses and just like, stay out and not tell anybody where I was going. Uh, 
and and at at some point during that period like uh, like after that initial two weeks like uh my mom emailed me and I guess like whatever my response was like made her think I was gonna kill myself so she fucking drove up from like god bless her like she drove up from New Jersey that day and was like I'm coming to get you you're not going to work for the next few days we're gonna just like take you out of everything and not worry about shit and just like focus on your head Mm -hmm. and like I I don't think I've I don't think I've ever had like serious like suicidal thoughts or anything. Um I've always been like interested in my own mortality and what that means, but I never really considered like ending it. But at that point, if she hadn't come when she did, like another week or two, maybe. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm glad I didn't get to find out. Yeah. But, yeah, that started me back on the therapy train, and, like, oh, man, it's just so good to um, just get some impartial ears on your shit and be like... Someone who can just listen. Yeah, or someone who can just, like, say something, and, like, maybe you've heard it a thousand times, but it's coming from this, like, pseudo-stranger, uh-huh. and so it seems like, and that, you know... Maybe they'll just phrase it in such a way that you haven't... Thank you. Yeah. Uh, that you hadn't thought of and be like, oh, like, of course, and why the hell didn't I realize that, like, three months ago? And it's be- it's just because you're in the fog. You can't... You, would, you wouldn't be able to realize it in those moments. Absolutely. There's one thing that I've seen or that I've experienced, which is there's power in saying it out loud. Oh, yeah. Because... A lot of my depression or things that I dealt with, it was entirely due to me living in my own head. Mm-hmm. My own head, not talking about anything. I have this bad... We are the same. Yes. <laughs> this bad habit where something might be bothering me and I don't even know to talk about it. Mm. And it was partially due to the way that I grew up. You know, mm-hmm. that, that's my own baggage from my own yeah. relationship with my mother. But... It was a real struggle for me to learn how to start sharing when something bothered me. Because I would just get mad. I would just get fucking mad. And I would storm off or I would get silent. That was the one thing, the the hallmark of every girlfriend I ever had. Mm -hmm. They would know I was angry when I wouldn't say shit. Because usually I don't shut the fuck up. (laughs) Yeah. Sums up. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Let me ask you this, because I just saw an article... Like, earlier this week. Like, were your parents strict when you were growing up? My mom was really strict. Um, I would say my mom was really oppressive about really stupid things. Like, things that didn't matter. So, it gave me a sense of never really liking or trusting authority. Like, Mm -hmm. I was always very anti-authority. Because, like, Mm -hmm. who the fuck is going to tell me anything when... My, one of my primary caregivers just doesn't give a fuck. Like, hmm. I mean, I remember being probably eight or nine or somewhere in that ballpark. And I went to, I vacuumed. Like, I, I had chores. My mom made me do chores because she, she didn't want to do, do anything. Hmm. It wasn't like to teach me responsibility. My, my dad's thing was always like teaching us responsibility. He was very laid back, but he was... He put his foot down when he needed to. He was he wasn't he wasn't a strict guy. He's very loving, mm-hmm. 
But my mom, on the other hand, like, I, I went to go vacuum, and I vacuumed everything. And you know when you vacuum, you can, you can see the lines on the floor? Mm-hmm. Well, she had... She was already in a bad mood. Like, she was already freaking out about something. And she started screaming at me and crying, just hysterical. She was already kind of losing it before this even happened. She was freaking out over something. I can't even remember what. Mm-hmm. And she was just basically telling me that I didn't vacuum, but if you looked at the floor, A, it was clean. Yeah. And B, there was all the lines from, from the vacuum on the carpet, so you, mm-hmm. you could see it. But long story short, um, strict, but in a way that didn't really make sense. Okay. It was, it was like authoritarian, but just claiming some kind of authority. That there was some kind of like dictatorship or that someone was in hmm. charge, the illusion of control. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, um, what what did the article well, say? It was uh, it was about how, um, like overly strict parents, uh, um, if they something about something about that uh, doesn't teach kids to, well, I guess doesn't really teach kids like what what the parent wants them to learn which is you know like responsibility and taking yes, things or whatever for sure what it does teach them is how to be better liars to avoid getting in trouble yes absolutely and i don't i don't think my parents were like overtly strict or anything but i'm a really good liar uh-huh <laughs> and it probably comes from something like i mean i'm sure that like a little bit of that's a factor somewhere you know sprinkled about you know mm-hmm. um I would lie all the time as a kid because I didn't want to get in trouble. And I think, actually, I think one of the first, like, breakthroughs I had in therapy was, uh, it was, I dropped out of college my first time around after my third semester and then had a miserable year off. And in that time was going to therapy. And, like, in the final session, like, my parents were both there too. Uh, initially, I'd just been one-on-one with the therapist. And whatever we were talking about, it got to the point where I just, like, basically blurted out, like, I just don't want to disappoint you and get you mad at me. And everybody's like, oh. Oh, shit. You know? And, like, uh-huh. that was that was the big thing. It's like, everything, you know, like, that was, I guess, what was on my mind. It was like, don't fuck up because people will yell at you. Mm-hmm. And, like, <laughs> I didn't, I was, I was so fearful of, uh, of dis of disappointing them. Mm-hmm. How did they respond? I don't remember. It was uh, you know, it was like amidst a flurry of tears and shit. Uh huh. Yeah. So, so yeah, totally. Um, yeah, I know what you mean. But then after that, you know, started getting some shit together and applied to Berkeley and ended up going to Boston for that. And ultimately, that didn't pan out either. <laughs> um, uh, for for a different set of reasons. I was in a band. I was taking classes. I was in a band. The band had a lot of things going on, and it looked like it's like somebody's gonna pick us up, you know. And uh, <laughs> eventually, uh, they kicked me out. Classic. Saying it was like uh, like a business thing. And, you know, we wish you the best of luck and all that, whatever. But I think there was this guy, um, some like. A&R kind of guy who was behind the scenes of a bunch of stuff just like didn't like me for some reason was like you should get rid of him mm-hmm. even though 
you know, we had spent a year being friends and recording and oh yeah playing shows and she's like, oh, okay, I guess I'll just go fuck myself. Yeah. Well, uh, it can it can be brutal in the music business, man. I mean. I think part of the reason that a lot of my shit came to the surface was being around a lot of other musicians. Yeah. And I had a very wise, experienced musician say to me once that every single one of us has an original wound mm-hmm. as, as, a, as an artist or as a creative type. There's a reason that we get into this form of expression, whether it's getting on stage or we paint something and it, it makes us feel a certain way and people see it and they respond to it and we see that response. It's almost like some kind of voyeurism in a way. Mm. Um, but basically what, what he had said to me was that every single one of us has something as to why we start doing this. And I know being surrounded by people that are like me, other creative types mm. that have their own demons that they're <clears throat> struggling with, uh, really brought something to the surface in me. And it was like, suddenly I moved to town and I wasn't the best anymore. Which I think is a good thing. I was not scared of that at all. That wasn't a factor. Yeah. But then you're one, you're one of a thousand. No one fucking cares. You're just another bass player, just another drummer, just another mm. producer, whatever. Small fish. Yep. Small fish, big pond. And as a human being, it forced me into really starting to own my shit. Because mm-hmm. <clears throat> things not working out or things not happening was entirely due to my own personality and the way that I dealt with people. Yeah. Or didn't deal with people. Like, I would just, I think a lot of the time, not try and not apply myself because I was afraid that I was going to go off on them. Mm. And... Most of my life, I didn't apply myself at anything. I was kind of good at music, and that was all I ever really needed. Yeah, yeah. It should just be kind of good at something. I didn't really give a fuck about anything, you know. Mm. I was just a horrible student, not a good home life, which looking back on it now, you know, I was in an unfair situation, but I didn't make it any easier on myself. Right, yeah. I, mean, I developed an, a lot of unhealthy habits that I carried into me into relationships, into the work world, into the music world, um, into various walks of life. Yeah. And there was this toxic thing on me all the time. That wasn't who I really was. Because every single one of us, I believe, have an essence about us. Something that makes us unique. Something that makes us different from one another. Because deep down, we're all the same. And deep down, we're also all different. Mm -hmm. And moving here really showed me that in a big way because it was like looking into a mirror because suddenly I was surrounded by people who had maybe a fucked up home life like me or some kind of fucked up background that they weren't dealing with Mm -hmm. and it's like that throughout the ages if you look at music at least looking back at the 20th century you know like the the history of recorded music like all all the greats that everybody loves you look at Jimi Hendrix Janis Joplin Jim Morrison Mm -hmm. Kurt Cobain they all had these demons that were in them. And I think it was either Jordan Peterson or maybe it was... Who's that British guy with the, the long hair and the and the, the facial hair? He, he was in that movie. Uh, Russell Brand. <laughs> yeah. um, he t- I think it was either him. I, I heard it on them talk about it on a podcast, but it was him or Jordan Peterson. And they basically said that 27 is the age that people die 
because it's like 25 or 26 when you get fully developed and you decide I'm either going to continue on with this behavior yeah. or I'm going to make a change. Hmm. And they were people who decided to stay down the path that they were on. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah, because like, and I, yeah, I totally relate to the uh, the whole like, you know, you're not really a person <laughs> until your brain's fully formed and that doesn't happen uh-huh. until like your mid-20s. And so like, I, I just recently turned 28 and I like only sort of now feel like I'm I'm a like a whole like dude. You have an idea part. of what's going on now. I'm, like kind of a person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it, yeah, and it, like it's not that it uh, not that it relinquishes any responsibility for past actions or anything. Sure, but you can. It does kind of give you like, all right. Well, I was like 23 and like kind you of had no fucking so, idea yeah, of what yeah. was going on. Like, Still don't, but just a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah. You know how to carry yourself now. That's, I think that's yeah. the difference. Yeah. And that, that was the difference for me too. It was like learning really how to deal with people and learn what was really me versus what were unhealthy or toxic habits that I grew to survive in the environment that I was in. Because mm-hmm. not knowing what like what safety is you know what i mean like not knowing yeah emotional safety or ever really feeling secure mm-hmm. breathes a lot of insecurity i was a, i was a very insecure person yeah for a long time and i never really felt insecure about my playing or about music cuz i always knew that there was something different about me cuz again every single one of us has something different about us. It's not that I'm, oh, I'm better than this or I'm better than that. Yeah, but you got I, your thing. Yeah, I got my thing. And I, I, I'd always felt good about that. But as a person, especially in relationships, I was just uh, super insecure and super paranoid all the time. It wasn't necessarily insecure that I was going to be cheated on or anything like that. It was just, again, it was all due to my relationship with my mom. Mm-hmm. And... It was just a turbulent environment, so that caused me to have very turbulent relationships. Yeah, yeah. That's what you know. That's what I knew. Mm -hmm. So I replicated them. Yeah. And I would choose women that were, that were always somewhat, they had had a pain to them too. Mm -hmm. And looking back on it now, I feel very grateful for all the relationships that, that I had, even though a lot of them were tumultuous and just hell the whole time. But I was 23 and a jackass. You yeah, just yeah. don't fucking know. <laughs> yeah. You can't you can't know until later. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It's like Scientology. You don't get all the information. <laughs> you got to get to level 9. You got to go clear first, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, so you know what you say. Yeah. <laughs> Shit. Oh, fuck. You're you're a million dollars in debt. <laughs> yeah. Scientology the Scientology has a bunch of various sex tapes and Acts of you having sex with pigs and shit like that for blackmail. Sure, got uh, yeah, <laughs> a, a Black Mirror episode's worth of information on everybody. Oh yeah, <laughs> uh, that's a whole crazy fucking thing, Scientology. Oh yeah, but sometimes people that's want something to believe in. <laughs> huh? Sometimes people want something to believe in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like. That's that's something I used to struggle with. I was I I when I was like in 
like the later years of high school and like early college. I was like definitely one of those like angry online atheist dudes. Just, <laughs> oh like, yeah, just like ranting about shit and like not really making sense, but just like the the uh, just the um the the whole recreational outrage thing. Like I was wrapped up in that shit. Uh huh. And I don't. Eventually, I was just like, "What am I doing with like I had there's." How many hours have I been doing this? Uh-huh. How, what, look at all this time I've wasted yelling it into the abyss at nobody about S- nothing. Screaming into the yeah, abyss. no one gives a shit. About nothing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like, if you want to, if you want to believe in the thing you believe in, great. Just leave me alone. <laughs> Did you grow up in a religious family? No. No. Um, and it's kind of funny, uh, we like we went to church. Like I remember going to like Sunday school a few times when I was really little. They're just like vague, fuzzy memories, you know, because I was real little. Um, but I do remember uh, not liking it and not really paying attention. Um, and the few times we did go to, there were like just like a handful of like pockets of time where I don't know. I guess I, maybe my parents just thought like. Maybe they should have a little bit of this, just because, uh, I don't know, some moral structure is better than none. Hell might exist. Maybe. Better play your cards right, I don't know. Play it on the safe side. Um, but it never, it never stuck, and they never, uh, made a point to, like, push it on us. Um. Well, that's good. Which is good. But funny enough, my, my, like, core group of friends from high school were, like, the youth group kids. Really? And I had no idea. I I didn't know, like, they would be like, I'd be like, okay, so what are we doing tonight? It's like, well, we have youth group. And I was like, what is that? Can I come? Like, <laughs> like <laughs> So what, you were just going to church like, as, as an no, atheist? No, I didn't. I didn't. I, I wasn't invited. <laughs> <laughs> they, they had their, I mean, you know, we would hang out every other day, but like, there was like always one day where like, they had their thing. And I was like, I don't know, like, what are they doing? Um, were they normal kids? Were they like smoking weed and banging and shit like that? Some of them, yeah. Uh, they were they were the ones who uh, got me high for the first time. Oh, yeah. classic! <laughs> and that that's a story, but I'll tell you that in a sec. Um, but funny enough, like I and before I realized that all my friends were like pretty religious and going to church every Sunday, uh, religious came out. Bill Maher's movie. I vaguely fucking remember this. Basically, he travels around the world and just kind of like asks questions, but you know, in his in his way. Oh, like, yeah. All centered on like, you know, he's very anti-religion uh, in general. But just like going to talk to people and uh, figure out what it's all about. But it ends, the ending of the movie is like this whole climax of like you know, people believing the world is going to end and like this, it's like this whole montage of things. And I look over, and one of my friends is, like, the, just the nicest girl. She's one of my best friends in the world. And and up until that point, I didn't know it was very religious. And she's sitting there in the theater, like, like watching, I'm sorry, watching this all happen, like, shaking. Like, she's, she's legitimately freaked out. Like, maybe, like, she's rethinking all of her shit. Oh, And I didn't shit. get it. I just, like, is she cold? Like, what's going on over there? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't understand. Until, like, a couple years later, when my, I don't know, my mom or my aunt was like, it's kind of funny that you made all your, like, youth group friends go see that movie. I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> it's like, you don't, like, you don't, 
know that they are all like all your friends are the religious kids? I was like, I did I did not know that. <laughs> I was completely oblivious because they, you know, they. Uh, I don't know. I guess knew that wasn't for me and didn't try to put me into it or whatever. Which is that's nice in itself. Yeah. And I realized online I was a huge dick about it without knowing like to them like the entire time. It's uh, amazing. Any of them are still friends with me. They were all praying for you. I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe. But you know what? That's kind of nice. At the yeah, end of the day. Yeah. No, it's good. I mean, we're all still friends. We maybe it's gonna thought, keep keep you out of hell. Uh, you know, uh, I'll, I'll light a candle tonight or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, the, that same group, the first time I got high, started at my buddy's house. Uh, already late into the night, uh, it was like a summer night, and. I arrive uh, to see that one of them is taking a shit in the middle of the street. Just... How old were you? 19? No, 18. Because it was the summer... Yeah, it was the summer before going off to college. So I was 18. Uh, (laughs) He's taking a dump on the road. Um, We did... We had a, a game we liked to play called Coning, where we would steal a bunch of traffic cones. And the way... The way my buddy's neighborhood was laid out is like, there's um, there's you know a road that leads into the development, and then there's a road uh, perpendicular to it, so you can either go left or right. Um, and we would set up cones like in a curve, so you would have to turn right. Okay, so people would come in, see like, oh, there must be something going on down there, blah blah, blah and they'd go that way. It was like a big loop this neighborhood, so uh-huh. it didn't matter which way you went. Uh, so that we'd make them go right. And then further down the road, it was dark out, uh, so the the traffic light, you know, the the street lights are on, um, and in the, you know, so there's like a light here and a light here, and in the dark area between them, we had set up another row of cones across the whole street. So they turn right, they get to this other row of cones down the way, and they're like, what the fuck? So they turn around, and by the time they've turned around, we've come out of the bushes and moved to the curved cones further in, so another block in between two sets of cones. <laughs> So we had those cones, <laughs> and uh, rather than clean up my friend's shit, we just coned it off in the middle of the road and left for the entire night. Uh, we went to a park and, like, you know, went to, like, fucking Wawa or Seven Eleven or whatever and just got snacks and got high and ate all night and slept in the car in the park um, and watched the sun come up, basically waiting for my friend's dad to leave to go to work so we could go home and sleep in his basement. <laughs> uh, and at, like, I don't know, maybe 5.30 or 6 in the morning, his dad calls him and he goes, we got the story from him. He's, <laughs> like, basically just like, hey, bud, so it looks like there's a, a lot of, like, dog shit or something in the road. There's cones around it. Um, and, <laughs> and my friend just goes, like, his his perfect cover-up for this is, Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, We didn't do that. (laughs) Oh, God. Great job, Chris. Way to cover it up. Like, as if he didn't... He instantly knows these fucks are getting high and (laughs) shitting in the road. Yeah, luckily he didn't care, apparently, because nobody faced repercussions, but... It was just harmless stupidity. Yeah, he's just like, okay, well, I'm going to work. I'll see you later today. (laughs) And so we're just like, hey, we're scooting home. We just, like, slept in the basement for the rest of the day. (laughs) So it's just like... Uh, such stupid, wonderful shit. <laughs> oh, yeah. 
Well, that's the perfect way to end this episode. Dude, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. This is Absolutely. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks, man. Yeah.